Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. As we enter into this new year where we have this theme of and this desire this vision of making a disciple in every home, we want to be able to move into uh, the year making disciples using the tools that God has given us. One of those tools is uh, to study the scripture and to pray. And so today we're going to take a look at how we can maybe study the scripture together um, and maybe how you can teach somebody else how to study the scripture. And we're going to do that with the Gospel of John. Now, the Bible is divided into two parts. Um, most of you know this if you've uh, been to Sunday school or you've been to church. But for those of you who don't know, the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament describes uh, God's old covenant with the people of Israel, uh, the Israelites, uh, and, and it points to how God is going to send a Savior. The New Testament, the New Covenant, is the description of how God sent the Savior, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from our sin give us a new life, and begin eternal life in us now and prepare a place for us for eternity after we leave this life and encounter a new life in him in heaven. And so uh, the scriptures divided in those two parts. We're going to look at the new covenant part in the gospel of John, the good news that John, one of Jesus's best friends, wrote. And this first part of John chapter 1 is this description of who Jesus is. And if you were going to walk a friend through how to study the Bible, and you, if you were going to walk a friend in how to make them into a disciple, train them to obey everything Jesus has commanded, you probably need to start with, sometimes uh, some people think you might need to start with, just who Jesus is and why is he important? Why do we worship him? Why is it, uh, and, and why is he so important? And so there's this whole study of Jesus Christ called Christology that's found in Scripture. And I just love the fact that in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, it just lists all these names about who Jesus is. And we can find out a lot about Jesus, and you could teach somebody a lot about Jesus just by looking at John chapter 1. Uh, John chapter 1 uh, begins this way, in the beginning... So John immediately takes us back to creation. He wants us to see that Jesus is really 100% God. We're going to find out in just a couple of lines of Scripture that he is also 100% human. But he does not make a 200% of a person. He is only one person who is both God and human. That's kind of like uh, Jesus' math. I, I know... Uh, People who are logical or math-minded don't like this three-in-one God. God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Spirit. And they'll say something like, one plus one plus one has got to equal three. Well, mathematically, it still works because one times one times one times one still equals one. And here is the same thing. When we have all of humanity uh, being fully human and fully God fused into one person, who is Jesus Christ. In the beginning, John says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right off the bat, John wants us to know that Jesus is God. 
And the word here is a description used to describe Jesus. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So God the Father planned out creation, but he was but all of creation, including the world and everything, the universe, was created through Jesus. So we could also call Jesus the creator God. Uh, you see how we're starting to uh, see how God is uh, one, even though he is described and told to us in three persons, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So all of a sudden, we have five descriptions of Jesus. And you want to know why Jesus is so important? You can just begin by looking at the Gospel of John. He is the Word. He is God. He is uh, the Creator. He is life, and He is light. You know, light has this idea of He gives us understanding. Life has this idea of you cannot live without knowing Jesus. You can definitely not have any eternal significance or having have any eternal life without uh, knowing Jesus. As John was writing this gospel, he is setting this up uh, why he wants to write this gospel. And he tells us um, and in the beginning and in the end that he is describing what he has seen and heard in Jesus Christ so that we might believe. In uh, the next couple of verses, uh, John describes Jesus came as a witness, or John the Baptist came as a witness to testify concerning that light who is Jesus so that through him all might believe. And verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And then over in chapter 20, verse 30, uh, John can, kind of bookends his gospel, his, his, his scroll, the letter he was writing, this biography about Jesus with these words, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this, in this book. But these are written, the ones that are written down here that we're reading about, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that means Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is telling us these names of Jesus and who Jesus is and why we should, why Jesus is so important, so that you might believe. In, in fact, um, there, there are several names mentioned here. Uh, the Word, God, Creator, Life, Light. It says He tabernacled among us, which uh, takes us all the way back into that Old Testament, the Old Covenant, where uh, God created this, this tabernacle, a, a moving uh, mobile uh, sanctuary, a moving mobile worship center. And Jesus becomes the moving mobile worship center. And later, when we believe in Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit within us, we become moving worship centers. Wherever we go, we take the presence of Christ with us. He's called um, the Son. He's called uh, a person in the flesh, talking about him being a man. He's called the Lamb of God. He's called Rabbi, which is teacher. He's called Messiah, which is Savior. He's called the Chosen One. God chose him to be the Savior for the world. He's called Jesus of Nazareth because he lived in Nazareth for a time as a young uh, boy into manhood. He was called the son of Joseph because his earthly adopted father's name was Joseph. He's called uh, 
son of God, king of Israel, and even son of man. And that son of God and son of man uh, titles that Jesus takes on are, are really important. But John is writing this, and we need to be able to read this and be able to teach somebody else what these words mean so that they can see how important Jesus is. If you were going to read this, this passage with a friend of yours, you'd be able to say, what do you think that means? What do you like about that? What kind of questions do you have about this? What does this teach us about God? And as you ask those questions and you just stick to the text, you can find out a lot about Jesus. And you can actually teach somebody how that they can know Jesus as well. Now, John the Baptist, who's not the author John in this, uh, from the Gospel of John, uh, John the Gospel writer, he describes how John the Baptist, one of Jesus's cousins, um, saw Jesus, this miraculous event happen with Jesus. And that's when John the Baptist discovered, oh, this is the Son of God. And it starts in verse 29. And Chapter 1, verse 29, and chapter 1, verse 35, and chapter 1, verse 43, all start with these words. The next day, and then there was a description of what happened. The next day, and then there was a description of what happened. The next day, and then there's a description of what happened. What the gospel writer is trying to tell us is we need to take this section, these passages, and link them together. Um, that Those words, the next day, hyperlinks each passage, connecting them so that we can see a full picture of what's going on. And it all goes back to this idea that what was seen and heard needs to be told. There's a testimony about Jesus. We tell what we witness so that others might believe. The next day, verse 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is, what I, this is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. The baptism of Jesus reveals Jesus. It's a something people could see, something people could hear, uh, something people could experience to uh, maybe have a sign that Jesus was the one they were looking for. Then John gave this testimony, verse 32. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. We see John here in this passage giving his testimony about Jesus. What he saw and experienced with Jesus Christ, he could not uh, misinterpret as anything else. He said, this is God's chosen one. He's quoting, I think, Isaiah 42, 1 here, where God said he is going to send his chosen one to bring justice to all the nations. Um, we have another description of Jesus' baptism found in Matthew and Mark. Here's the description in uh, Mark chapter 1. At that time, verse 9, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, by the way, Luke tells us in that description that Jesus was in prayer as he came up out of the water. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you, I am well pleased. This is the same voice that John the Baptist heard when he baptized Jesus. So we have John's testimony about what he saw along with God's testimony about who Jesus is. And John couldn't help but point out 
Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world to everybody he saw. John was this uh, great uh, prophet. In fact, he was the first prophet after 400 years of what we call the silence of God before God spoke to Israel again. In the Old Testament, we have uh, these descriptions of the Word of God coming to mankind through the Scripture and through prophets and through uh, the kings of Israel and through poetry and through uh, wisdom literature and uh, through these stories about God's people. And then there's this space between the Old and New Testament where it doesn't seem like God is speaking. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes on the scene and he is declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. Everyone should repent, get ready, because God is going to come. And then when he baptizes Jesus, the heavens roll open, the spirit descends like a dove, and you have the voice of God saying, this is the one. John couldn't help but tell people about this. And so John had disciples following him, and we find out, verse 35, the next day, we're linking it back to the testimony of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And notice how John's testimony, pointing people to Jesus, how people start following Jesus. When we point people to Jesus, the something about pointing out Jesus causes people to start following Jesus, to seek the truth. I like how Dallas Willard said, Jesus is, is the type of person who would say to you, follow the truth wherever it leads. And when we give our testimony, what we've experienced in Jesus Christ, what he has done to us and for us, and how we have witnessed who he is and what we know about him, when we tell people our testimony, they start following the truth about who Jesus is. And that's exactly what happened when two of John's disciples, John's followers, started following Jesus. They wanted to know about this Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. I love this, this picture of Jesus sitting with these two disciples, one of them named Andrew. Um, we're not for sure what the other one's name is, but we have a guest here in a couple of minutes. Um, he's sitting with these two disciples, and I wonder what they talked about. The scripture doesn't say, but when they finish talking, these two disciples believe that Jesus is the Savior. They believe he is the Messiah. I like how Dr. Dan Spader describes his imaginative uh, discussion of what they were talking about. And um, they, I, he imagines Jesus saying, well, you know how the scripture says the Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem? And these two disciples said, yeah, we remember that from uh, the prophet that said Bethlehem was going to be the birthplace of Messiah. And Jesus said, well, I, I got to tell you, I, I was born in Bethlehem. And then a little bit later, um, he says, you remember how that, that prophecy says that the Son of God will come out of Egypt? And uh, they would say, yeah, I remember that prophecy. And he said, well, I, I want you to know that when I was young, uh, as a child, Herod tried to kill all the babies where I was born in Bethlehem. You might remember that. Remember that story about Herod killing all the babies? And they said, yeah, we remember that. He said, well, my family was there. We escaped, and we escaped to Egypt. And later, after Herod died, an angel told my father Joseph to come back and we came out of Egypt. And all this time, as Jesus is having this discussion, this is what Dr. Spader imagines what happened. These little light bulbs are going off in these disciples' head. 
I don't know what the discussion was, but after spending time with Jesus, the disciples were convinced Jesus is the Messiah. I don't know where you are in your walk with God, and I don't know what you believe about Jesus, but if you just spend time with him, you almost can't help but begin to believe because he reveals truth. And he would tell you, if, he, if you asked him, follow the truth wherever it leads. Uh, a friend of mine loves telling the story, uh, loves telling the story about a, a friend of his who said, I don't really believe too much about God. I don't know too much about God, but I'm going to study the Bible and find out uh, for myself what the Bible says. And my friend was like, yeah, go on and read the Bible. Because he knows that the more time we spend in the Bible is the more time we actually spend with Jesus. There's this great story about Samuel being called to follow Jesus. Samuel was one of the prophets of God. And the scripture says Samuel did not know, he was not acquainted with, he did not know intimately who God was because the word of the Lord had not come to him yet. But after the word of God came to Samuel, he knew God. When we study the scripture, it is the word of God and it helps us know who God is and it helps us know Jesus. When we spend time in the word, we're spending time with Jesus. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but I know it's true. And after these two disciples spent time with Jesus, they just knew that he was the Messiah. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. He's one of the two that spent time with Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which is, when translated, is Peter. I love how Andrew acted on his belief. See, true belief is not just believing or saying something to be true, or even maybe even believing in our mind we think we believe something is true. True belief happens when we put, when we act like we believe it is true. Andrew truly believed this is the Messiah and he acted like he believed he was the Messiah by going to get his brother and bringing him to Jesus. This convicts me. And it kind of breaks my heart for me. I can only describe me. Because I claim Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I'm convinced in my mind that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But I don't always act like Jesus is my master and my Savior. And I look at Andrew, and I look at how when he spent time with Jesus, he was just convinced, this is the Savior. And the very first thing he did was go find his brother so that he could bring him to the Savior. What's convicting me is I don't go immediately and find people to bring to Jesus. And it makes me question, do I really believe Jesus is the Messiah? It makes me ask this question, of you and me. Do we really believe Jesus is the one, God's chosen, creator, life, light, lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, if we don't act like he's our Messiah? If I'm more excited about the Bengals winning and making it into the playoffs, and I tell everybody, can you believe they won that game and beat Kansas City? If I'm excited about my favorite sports team and I can't wait to talk about it, if I'm excited about the new Marvel movie and I can't wait to talk about it, what does it say about my excitement about Jesus when I don't ever talk about it? 
This is, this is why we're teaching. We have to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey. And one of the ways that we make a disciple is exactly what the Gospel of John tells us to do. We tell these things. We give our testimony so that you might believe. And if you really believe, you're going to act on that belief. You're going to act like you believe, and you're going to tell somebody. If you take somebody and just say, hey, do you mind if, here's one way to tell somebody. One way you can tell somebody is say, I, I, have, I have become convinced that Jesus is God and he came to us and he is still with me. And your friends might, and your family might look at you like, like you're crazy. And you could say something like, would, would you mind reading just this passage with me and to make sure I am understanding what I'm reading correctly? Because I don't want the wool pulled over my eyes. And you can just start with John chapter one and say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the way John writes it is so interesting. He doesn't just come out and say, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He says the Word, because the way John writes, he wants you to, to read it and not be exactly clear. He wants you to think about it. And the more you think about it, the more you meditate on it, the more you realize what he is saying. And you can read that passage with one of your friends or family and say, hey, help me understand, make sure I'm understanding this correctly. That's a great way to introduce somebody to the scripture and introduce them to spending time with Jesus. The next day, verse 43, see, we, we have these, these passages linked and they're all about testimony. John gave his testimony about God's testimony to him. This is the chosen one. John then gave his testimony and Andrew believed. He believed because of the testimony and he believed because he spent time with Jesus. And now he gives his testimony. Come, we have found the Messiah. And the next day we have another follower of Jesus named Philip. Now this might've been the other person with Andrew. We're not for sure though. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. What do you think Philip did after he spent time with Jesus? He gave his testimony. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael's a doubter, just like Doubting Thomas, where Doubting Thomas says, oh, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my fingers in the scars in his hand, the scars in his side, the, the place where the, the, the nails went and the place where the spear went. Nathanael's a doubter because he has seen Nazareth. He's been around Nazareth. He thinks Nazareth is a no-name, nobody town. How can anything good come out of Nazareth? And you know, there's no prophecy about Jesus coming out of Nazareth, the Messiah coming out of Nazareth. And Nathaniel the doubter says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Philip doesn't argue with him. He doesn't try to convince him. He just brings him to Jesus. And Philip says, come and see. Come find out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. When you go and talk to your friends and your family and your, your, uh, the people who you're trying to bring to Jesus, some of them are going to doubt. Some of them are not going to be interested. Just introduce them to Jesus. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Tell them about what the Bible says Jesus, uh, who Jesus is. And then say, hey, read this passage with me and just see for yourself. Check it out for yourself. The story about Lee Strobel, whose wife was a Christian and Lee was a reporter, um, it goes something like very similarly. Lee did not want to believe what his wife was believing in. 
And so Lee set out to disprove the Bible so he could prove his wife wrong. And he started reading the Bible and started studying the facts. And he spent time with Jesus. And he became convinced that the Bible was true and Jesus was who he said he was. Philip did the same thing with Nathaniel. He just said, come and see, find out. Now, this is why I think Philip was also the other one with Andrew, the two disciples that went with Jesus, because this is the exact same thing that Jesus said to Andrew and Philip. Come and see, come and see. Couldn't you say that to your family or your friends? Come and see. When I had a discussion with my younger brother, and he was telling me that there was no God and that we can't know truth, I said, I, I, I said, we, we actually, I didn't, I lost my temper somewhere in this conversation. I wasn't the best evangelist. I wasn't the best testimony giver. But at one point, I came to my senses and I said to him, Well, why don't you just examine it for yourself? I said, There's enough evidence when you examine the facts that Jesus was a real person who really lived in history, really died on the cross, and really rose from the dead. If you examine the facts, just examine the facts, I think they weigh so heavily in the favor of a real person with a real crucifixion and a real raise from the dead moment in history that you might believe. Now, I don't know if he's ever taken me up on that offer to examine, but I, in the moment where I had clarity, I acted like Philip. I said, see for yourself. Come and see, said Philip. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, no scholar knows exactly what Jesus means here. There's some debate. There's some, uh, there's some indication that uh, sitting under a fig tree it was the quiet prayer time that some people were seeking the Lord. And so maybe there's this idea that Nathaniel was quietly alone, having a prayer time under a fig tree, praying to God, maybe even asking about who the Messiah is or how can God bring justice or maybe who the chosen one was going to be when Philip came and saw him. So Nathaniel would think, oh, how did he know this? Nobody knows exactly what he means. But for Nathaniel, this was proof that Jesus was who he said he was. Something about what Jesus said to Nathaniel here, something between him and Nathaniel, maybe only Nathaniel ever knows. I can't wait to when I get to heaven to be able to ask this question. What did that mean? Um, there's a, another indication in the Old Testament that when God's Savior and salvation and new kingdom come, where heaven is on earth, that everyone is going to have their own fig tree and be able to sit in, under the shade of their own fig tree and enjoy the fruit um, at peace, total peace and rest. And so uh, there's some Old Testament, maybe, imagery thrown in here. I'm not sure what it means. All I know is when Jesus spoke, Daniel believed, or Nathaniel believed. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He gave him credit for that one little word. You know, when... In the, at the end of this gospel, when Jesus has been crucified and they don't remember that he said he was going to come back to life and they don't remember that this was all part of the plan, Mary, one of Jesus' disciples, is looking for Jesus and she's looking for his body. And she goes to the tomb 
and the tomb is empty, and she's so distraught, and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. Maybe the light was in his eyes, or maybe his resurrected body was just uh, different enough that she couldn't see. And she said, can you just tell me where his body is? And he says one word to her. He says, Mary. He says her name. And immediately she knows it's him. When we spend time with Jesus and he begins to speak, he has this way of speaking to our soul where we believe. But how can someone believe? How can they get to the point where they can hear Jesus speak to them unless we bring them to Jesus? Every single instant, verse 29, verse 35, verse 43, the next day, the next day, the next day is followed by one of Jesus' followers giving a testimony about Jesus. John gives a testimony. This is the Messiah. This is the one God has chosen. Uh, Andrew says, Simon, this is the Messiah, the Savior, the one God has chosen. Philip says to Nathaniel, we found the one, the one that the prophets wrote about. And Nathaniel doesn't even believe. And Philip says, just come and see. And Jesus speaks right to his heart. Wouldn't it be amazing that as you plant seeds of faith and water seeds of faith with your own testimony, just inviting people to meet with Jesus, wouldn't it be amazing if he began to speak into their heart and that he would invite them to come and see, that he would say their name in such a way, speak to their soul in such a way that they began to believe. Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. And then he switches to a plural. Nathaniel, you believe because I, you heard me say, I saw you under the fig tree, but you all, and he's pointing at all the disciples around him, and he's pointing directly to us. But you all will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you all will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is this intersection between heaven and earth. Jesus is the life and the light. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the one the prophets and the one Moses wrote about. Jesus is God's chosen one. Jesus is God. We may not see visually, physically, Jesus, but we can see him by faith. And we can come to believe by the testimony of John, the testimony of God, the testimony of Andrew, the testimony of Philip, the testimony of Nathaniel, who when Jesus spoke to him, he believed. All this is written so that you might believe. I have something for you to do. When you bring your friends and your family members just to read John chapter 1, just to go through the different names of Jesus, there are seven questions that you can have them ask about the text. Just stay with the text. First, ask the question, what do you like about this? I love, in chapter 1, all the different names for Jesus. The second question you can ask is, what do you have questions about here? What challenge you, challenges you in this text? For some, it's going to be that John is saying Jesus is God. And they might be challenged in their mind that one plus one plus one is hard to equal three. But one times one times one times one does equal three. Or they might have a question about what did Jesus mean when he said, I saw you under the fig tree. That's a question that's going to drive me crazy. And I'm going to keep coming back to it. I'll keep studying. Maybe someday I'll have the answer found in Scripture. But you get to ask them, what questions do you have about the text? 
And if you just stay on the page, maybe you'll be able to answer the question. If you can't answer the question, say, you know what? I don't know what that answer is, but let's look it up together. Let's call somebody together. Let's see if we can Google it together. What do you like about it? What questions do you have about it? Then read the passage again and ask this question. What can we learn about God from this passage? For example, we can find out that God had this plan to send his Savior just from this passage of Scripture. We can find out that God came to be with us in human form as Jesus just from this passage of Scripture. Then you can ask the fourth question. What can we learn about people from this passage? Well, one of the things that we can learn about people from this passage is that God uses people to tell others about him. We are the ambassadors for Christ. We are the testimony given. We are the witnesses for Jesus. And we have to tell other people what we have seen and heard so that they might believe. We can also find out about people that some will doubt. And we don't need to argue with them. And we don't have to convince them because Jesus can convince them. All our job is is to tell them what Jesus has done for us and to us and how he's transformed us from the inside out and how he came to rescue us. As we tell our testimony, we can trust that God is going to do the work to bring people to faith. Then the, so we got four questions. What do you like about this passage? What questions do you have about this passage? What does this teach us about God? What, what does this passage teach us about people? Now we need to ask the question, how can I apply this to my life? I was reading with a friend, Mark chapter 1, and as we were reading, we were doing the same, we were asking these same questions. When I got to Mark chapter 1, and he read that Jesus was baptized, and we said, ask the question, how can you apply this passage to your life? He said, it tells me I got to be baptized. Well, he believed in Jesus. He was becoming a disciple of Jesus. Now we get to baptize him into Jesus and then we teach him to obey. When you read this passage, you have to ask yourself, how can I apply this passage to my life? The number one thing I take away from this passage, especially verses 29 through 51, is that I have to tell people about Jesus. I have to be so excited about the Messiah that I can't not talk about Jesus. This is how I'm going to apply it to my life. What do you think that someone would say as they read this, how they might apply it to their life. Well, if they're far from God, they might say, I have to apply this that I need to find out for myself who Jesus is. They might read it and say, well, I have to find out for myself, is he really the Savior? And what does that mean for me? Or they might start, can you believe this could really happen? They may not even believe Jesus is true, but they might start applying that they have to tell other people about what they've read about Jesus being the Messiah. Can you imagine a non-Christian witnessing for God. It can happen. When you ask the question, how do you apply it for your life, to your life? And then question number six, which one of my friends or family do I need to tell about what I've learned in this passage of scripture? When we were in a small group a couple of months ago, we read about how um, God lifts up the people who humble themselves. But if we exalt ourselves, God will humble us. And I remember thinking and praying, who do I need to tell that to? And I remember thinking about my middle son. My son, Josh, had humbly uh, done something where he uh, gave away something he prized to somebody else so, so that they could experience joy. And if he had kept it for himself, he would have had joy for himself. But he gave it away. He humbled himself. And 
it hurt him. It hurt him a little bit. It made him sad that he gave it away so somebody else could have joy. Now, he was glad that they had joy, and that did bring him joy, but he was still sad. And I just remembered that passage. Whoever humbles himself, God will lift up. But if we lift ourselves up, God will humble us. And, and it came to me, I got to go tell Josh about that. And I went to Josh and said, Josh, I'm proud of you for giving that up for that person to experience joy and you taking a back seat. And I said, in the scripture, look at what this says in Luke, how if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. I said, Josh, I don't know how God's going to lift you up. I don't know how he's going to exalt you, but because you humbled himself, he is going to lift you up. This is how God works. And so I'm so proud of you for doing that, but I'm also, I'm so excited about what God is going to do for you because you were being obedient and loving and following what Jesus teaches. Jesus, you know, humbled himself. He humbled himself uh, by leaving heaven, becoming human, being born and placed in a feeding trough, having to grow as a human and being faced with every temptation that we're faced with, and yet he never sinned. But because he humbled himself, even humbled himself to death, including death on the cross, taking on our sin, and God pouring out his wrath on sin on him, because he humbled himself that way, God raised him from the dead and placed his name above all names, that whoever believes in the name of Jesus shall be saved. That was what I learned from that passage. And I couldn't help but share it with my son. You're going to get to this passage and you're going to ask the question, who do I need to share what I've just learned with in this passage? I hope that you share it with your small group that you learn that you have to give away your testimony. You have to tell other people about Jesus. And I hope you share these questions with them too. Last question before we move into a time of communion is who do you need to share God's story with? Who do you need to tell that Jesus came to rescue us? Why don't you spend some time praying about that right now and see if God doesn't give you an answer? Let's pray. Lord, would you give me a name on who I need to share this story about Jesus with. Lord, would you give me a name on who I need to apply this passage of Scripture and let them know what it says. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And as you wait for God to give you a name, I wonder if He won't give you a name on who to share this passage with and ask those same questions. What did you like about this passage? What did you have questions about this passage? What can you learn about God in this passage? What can you learn about people in this passage? How can I apply this passage to my life? Who do I need to share what I've learned? What application I've learned? Who do I need to share that with? And who do I need to share the gospel with? Now we get to respond to what Jesus is doing in our life by going to communion. God gave us a couple of different ways for our church community to rehearse the story of God. One of the ways that God gives us a means of grace, one of the ways that God gives us as a way to rehearse his story is baptism. When we're buried into the water, it looks like Jesus' death and burial. And when, we're, when, when we are raised out of the water, it looks like the resurrection of Christ. It's a way for our community to rehearse the story of God. Communion is also a way. It's a testimony of what we have seen and heard. When we participate in the bread, 
it reminds us of the body of Christ that was sacrificed on the cross. It reminds us of his humanity. You know, there are other names that Jesus uses for himself. He says he is the bread of life. Just like the Israelites received bread in the wilderness, the bread from heaven, but then they died. Now Jesus says he is the bread from heaven. And if we can consume him, we will live forever. Now what he means by that is that we would believe, put our trust in him, and we have total confidence in him. Well, the bread of communion reminds us of why we have confidence in him. We have confidence in Jesus because in his body, he took our sin, absorbed God's wrath, died, and then rose from the dead. Would you participate in communion as a testimony to God's story? Take out your cup. When you participate in the cup, you're remembering that his blood that was shed, poured out for you, covers over all of your sin. And it is a picture of Jesus' blood pouring out of his body on the cross. And it reminds us of God's story. Sin will be forgiven by the shedding of blood. Because Jesus is fully human, he can die in our place. Because he's fully God, he can absorb the sin of the world and offer forgiveness to all who believe. Would you participate in the cup? We thank you, Jesus, for this testimony that we declare your death until you come back to receive us as your children and take us to the home you have prepared for us. Lord, would you allow this time of remembrance to propel us into belief of action where we act like we believe you are truly our Savior. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I don't know who God put in your mind to go and talk about John chapter 1 with and how you can ask those seven questions, but I can't wait to hear about it. Would you email me? Would you text me? Would you fill out a comment in the comment section and let us know uh, a friend's name or family member's name or maybe even just initials if you don't want to embarrass them or maybe you can make up a name if you don't want to embarrass them so that we can start praying for the conversations that you're going to have the testimonies that you're going to give so that Jesus, when they spend time with Jesus, they would come to believe. I can't wait to hear from you. I'll see you soon. Thanks again for joining us. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just need more information about our church, please visit us online at wcconline.org connect. Fill out that connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining and we will see you back here next time.